Hi everyone, I'm Aaron Green, head of SAP Success Factors across Asia Pacific and Japan. Welcome to People People Unfiltered, the podcast. Each month I'm going to be sitting down with extraordinary business leaders to discuss all things people experience. Today we're going to be talking about technology's ability to be a magnifying glass for behaviors, both good and bad, with our amazing guest, Wendy Fong, the CHRO of SEMCORP based in Singapore. Her experience with SEMCORP's recent HR transformation is nothing short of extraordinary. With any transformation, transparency is absolutely key, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today. It's transparency of skills at the management level, transparency around employees' career trajectory, and so much more. But we'll also go a little bit futuristic with you. So today we're talking about how HR technology offers the opportunity to provide transparency and lift the lid on the things like pay inequality and lack of organizational diversity, and the implications of these details coming to light, the good and the bad. But first, let me introduce Wendy. Wendy has close to 30 years experience in the HR and technology space. She began her career at Accenture as a consultant and has since worked for companies large and small, from Sun Microsystems, which coincidentally is where I started my career, to SAP. And more recently, Wendy made the jump into the electrics industry, moving to Schneider Electric as the VP of Human Resources across East Asia and Japan, to now being the CHRO of SEMCORP Industries. Wendy, it's really great to be with you today. The things you're doing at SEMCORP are truly amazing. Maybe you can give us a little background about yourself and the organization. Sure. So uh, I head up HR at SEMCORP, um, but my history kind of really goes back to consulting. So I started out uh, in Accenture. At that time, uh, it was still the partnership. Uh, so I started out in change management consulting. I guess since that time, I got a bit addicted to change. Uh, and I made a switch to HR. And thinking about it as I was preparing for this, uh, I realized that actually in most of my HR roles, I've been involved in actually driving some form of change. Uh, the largest form would be when my time in SAP, when uh, we developed and implemented the HR Shared Services. Uh, then moving on to Schneider, which was a completely different industry. Uh, and uh, now in SEMCORP, which is uh, very much uh, locally based Singapore Inc., uh, where I think the agenda is the same in terms of business transformation and HR transformation, but the environment is also quite different. So SEMCORP uh, Industries uh, is a conglomerate, so it's got mainly three, uh, three businesses. Uh, it's got marine business, energy business, and the urban business. Uh, so I think very firstly, it's, it's really the business transformation that's needed. So the energy industry has been impacted and disrupted at the moment uh, as we shift uh, to, I guess, uh, a market that's largely a power purchase agreement based. So basically, once you build a plan, you've already got a deal that's good for 25 years and all you need to do is make sure that you deliver on the plan uh, and make sure that you generate the energy that you said you would generate. So that model of business has gone away uh, and it, also the way we buy uh, energy is also changed, the way we buy power. And we believe that it's going towards a much more merchant-related, a more open market type of uh, uh, market and therefore the skill sets that are needed uh, will will be changed in a few ways. So I think number one would be uh, the commercial angle, right? So when we start to build a more professional team that would do trading, uh, then you're actually attracting from the banks uh, and uh, the financial sector. Then we believe that uh, with the long history that SEMCOP has in 
building plants. Uh, we, we don't just have power plants, we also treat water. So we're actually quite well known uh, in treating industrial water as well. So we have many, many water plants uh, here in China, etc. And so we believe that we actually have a lot of data that we can collect and actually can use uh, to give us an advantage. Uh, and in this sense, we've actually heavily also invested in technology uh, in the R&D space, uh, in our data scientists to uh, really develop and harness uh, the information that we already have into something that we can uh, market it and, and improve uh, solutions for our customers. So then there's another group uh, of employees uh, that will kind of change the profile of our workforce. And then, of course, we have uh, the group that um, been around in our traditional model of, of business. So the change in the business uh, is multifold in terms of its capabilities, in terms of its mindset, because shifting from something that practically doesn't change to something which changes more frequently, but to change in an area where we are probably unsure of, uh, and un, uh, it's basically an unknown. Uh, and therefore, the, the need to uh, be comfortable with the ambiguity, to be courageous in trying new things uh, and be unafraid and, and to fail, which means that the tolerance for failure has to, has to go, uh, basically go up. Uh, that's an area of change. So the whole SEMCOP employee value system uh, has to change. But at the same time, we also want to hold on to what we, what we deem to be a treasure for us. And, and that's still very much the human-to-human -human relationship, uh, the family environment, the familiarity uh, that people have and hold on to. So they said, you know, when you come change, but please do it with compassion. Uh, so I think that's, that's really the ethos behind SEMCOP. Uh, so on the people front, that's the capability building. Of course, we want to build a higher performance culture as well. So uh, in that regards, then again, many areas of how we even understand performance expectations had to be reset, uh, measuring them and helping our managers um, understand where their role is. Uh, one of the more traditional uh, mindset around people management, I think in SAMCOP still very much entrenched is that uh, people management is HR's job. Uh, it's, it's really still personnel management as opposed to people management. So challenges are, um, you know, I could talk all day about the challenges. So the business need for transformation basically necessitates the HR transformation that takes place in the organization. That's incredible. What you've just talked about is that you're really dealing with a business transformation in the way that SEMCORP operates commercially. You're talking about a transformation of the HR team themselves and the skills that you have within the team a transformation of skills that you have in the workforce, and you're talking about the transformation of skills of your people managers as well. That's a huge amount to deal with. To some extent, it sounds a little bit like trying to fly an airplane and changing the engine at exactly the same time. It's a huge amount of work to be done. I do want to pick up on something you said around increasing people's tolerance for failure and accepting that in order to change, you have to try all new things. You have to accept that some will work and some will fail. But when you're dealing with more traditional managers or HR professionals, how do you encourage that mindset shift? What do you have to do to help people accept that failure is okay? And that through this, that through failure, that's how we learn how to succeed? Okay, uh, starting with myself. Uh, so we, we just rolled out. Uh, so I, I think um, I've, I've also shared uh, that uh, part of our transformation on HR is also to bring in uh, more modern HR practices. So we've 
we've implemented talent management, talent review, which is not something new in a lot of organizations. But we took the opportunity to say we're trying to avoid the night box. Um, and many of the leadership team come from different organizations, different backgrounds. So uh, in some way, shape or form, some of them have experience of the night box. But we also know that progressive companies or the more um, uh, inventive ones have actually gone past. So I pretty much know that that's not the place to go. Uh, and in our use of the night box, we already know the pros and cons of it. So we tried to kind of move to a new one, newer model where we felt it would simplify it for managers. Uh, but then they kind of fell back uh, and they could not really understand the newer model uh, itself. So in the end, uh, we adjusted it, but we didn't go back to the nine box, but we adjusted the model. So very much kind of HR leading the way in terms of uh, uh, putting out in a phase one and we say, okay, as long as you have tolerance for reiteration, we will be fine and we will be great in round three. So I think on the one hand, uh, it is also an organization that's forgiving. So it has threshold given that uh, from the, what I told you, the culture that we want to preserve is one of family. It's one of compassion, which actually underlying it means that we actually have tolerance for failure. We just have this very potentially very Asian mindset that we have to be the best at everything. Uh, could also be a little bit because we're Singaporean. Uh, but actually the tolerance is there and as long as I think the courage is not in the people that uh, that accept failures but it's courage for the people that uh, that dare to make the mistakes I think uh, so so I think on HR front we've already done that secondly we've just done the, com the compensation uh, module we're just completing the last bit of it and you can imagine the noise that comes out uh, for people who have just transitioned from Excel to an enterprise system uh, compensation module. Uh, and again, there, uh, the noise level is immense uh, because the change is also immense for them, uh, both from a system perspective and secondly, from a, from a whole philosophy of compensation perspective as well. Uh, but I think that once we carry it through at this point in time, I would say that um, they've actually done it quite well. You know, a large 90% of the managers have actually done it well. Uh, were able to adapt to the new philosophy and were able to use the system. Uh, so we will be better the next cycle, next year. And by the third cycle, they will be completely used to it. So I think it's also a way of change. Uh, so I think uh, on that front, uh, uh, I would say HR, we do it ourselves. Uh, we kind of show the way uh, with, with technology, especially once they get used to it that, hey, you know, feel nothing, nothing has, you know, no very serious consequence that's actually happened. It's okay. I think in, uh, as HR, uh, we do speak in, you know, town halls and staff communications. And uh, at SEMCOP, we are quite vocal. Our employees are quite vocal, especially if they are anonymous. They are extremely vocal. Uh, and they question many, many decisions that the leadership uh, makes. And uh, oftentimes they do point to the mistakes, uh, mistakes in investments, uh, mistakes in implementation or the lack of it, or when the leaders haven't really walked the talk, etc. I think uh, it's a reminder to them that while we look at the bad, we also look at the many good that has happened as well and kind of balance that view out. And hopefully uh, through a period of time, uh, enough time for uh, for that change to take place, for the newer 
capabilities, people that come in with newer capabilities to get integrated, uh, the, a new norm will form. Ho hopefully that will happen you know, sooner rather than later. That's amazing, right? Because I'm really fascinated by the fact that you didn't adopt the standard McKinsey 9 box, but actually you looked at what was relevant for Semcorp's business. That's really important because I think so many organizations look at technology, whether it's HR technology, marketing tech, financial technology, really any tech, and say, if I adopt this technology, then I will get this outcome. But the reality is that the technology platform is just one piece on the transformation journey. You have to be aware of the organization, what you're trying to drive, and what change you're looking to affect. You also have to be aware of really where your employees are. There's this whole school of thought that's emerged in, in the last five years or so in HR around meeting people, meeting your employees where they are on the journey, as opposed to assuming that everybody's at the same place and on the same journey itself. I'd be fascinated to know really what that emotional journey looked like at Sencorp. That emotional change, uh, it's actually quite colorful. Um, on, on our side here, there are, again, you experience it at different stages. So of course, at design stage uh, of implementing any solutions, uh, they all sound very logical. And of course, you are sharing it with the leadership team who have a good understanding of what... Um, so my leadership team, although they are working in a Singapore Inc., are actually pretty exposed. So they've, you name it, especially for some of the ones that have been longer, they would have gone to every single Ivy League uh, management program, right? Uh, and they understand and they know what's out there and what's been implemented in, uh, uh, in the large organizations. Uh, but of course, they don't really relate uh, too well in terms of how that would look like within SEMCOP. So when we start discussing it at logical uh, levels, at what it means for the organization, and the pain is the same. I I've been in a few organizations, the pains are all the same. Uh, then the question is, do we do this for us? And the pressure point uh, in an organization is, is, is where I need to find out where is SEMCOP's pressure point. So at which point does the change happen? or the change resistance take place. Uh, so it's certainly not a design stage. You almost think that, do they actually know what I was talking about when they said yes? Uh, and uh, getting the team to cross that hurdle, not, not a problem. Designing it therefore with the team, I think uh, the challenge is, as you've, you've said, that the team that works with me are also doing it for the first time. Uh, they're potentially also underexposed because they may not have worked in many other organizations as well. So there is a journey to getting to the journey, uh, you know, kind of getting them into the space where they are actually leading the change itself. Uh, so that is, I guess, another area of challenge or added activity, which I have to do um, to get the team ready to become their designers, to actually design that solution for the organization. And when that takes place, uh, then communicating out and then going live. Now, when the organization realized that, okay, it's happening. It's really happening. Uh, that's the pressure point at SEMCOP. And that's the point where they will go, um, so Wendy, do you think we're really ready? Maybe we're not ready. Maybe we delay it a year. Maybe we should, uh, I think, nobody will tell you the old way is better because they know the old way is not. And, and we kind of know we are already branded brick and mortar. So uh, brick and mortar is never good. Uh, in fact, to a point that I think they, we try to stop saying that because it's, it's, it's not a label. It's really about bringing them on a journey. It's not because they are not fit for it, but that they just haven't taken that journey, right? 
so, so that's the pressure point that I have noticed in, in a pattern uh, as, as we roll things out. So that's the place where I would say we need to dig deep uh, uh, in our heels, basically, you know, when we put the stick in the ground, that's it, I'm not moving. And that's where I say, you know, exactly what you say, we meet them where they are, find out at which point they are. Uh, and sometimes philosophically, they're not yet with you. So it's a philosophical discussion. Uh, sometimes is, uh, and not everybody will ultimately agree with you because even though they may come from different backgrounds, but everybody is a HCM expert, right? Everybody is an expert in managing people. They have their own system of justice as to how people ought to be paid, how people ought to be treated. Uh, so shifting from that mindset, some will be successful, some won't be. Uh, I think teaching the technology is not that difficult. Uh, so adopting and just taking onto that technology, usually not that difficult. Um, there is always, so sometimes I find that uh, HR, we protect our employees a bit too much and our leaders protect our employees a bit too much. They think they are not capable of doing it, um, but actually they are. Uh, and also finally, I think the technology we have today is working to our advantage because um, I've always said to the team, I believe, that's my personal belief and I may be wrong, but I believe that the solutions of two decades ago were engineering based. I mean, that were the days of business process re-engineering. Uh, the, the, the basis of change was actually using engineering methods. Uh, but the last period or the period that we're in is actually human design based. And therefore, it's actually using more intuition. Um, it's just like AI, right? AI is, is not about more logic, it's about studying patterns. So suddenly, if you're a statistician, you're a winner now, right? Uh, so, it's, so it's that because we have mobile technology, so there is now no reason why we wouldn't reach out to blue-collar workers. Uh, my mom, who's 80 years old, uses her mobile phone. Yeah, no doubt she asked me, but there was no reason, you know, she uh, would interact with hotels, with you know, her service providers through the mobile phone. So they are, they are mobile and able. They may not be very savvy, but we should be looking at technology that goes out directly to them on mobile. I say think about phone banking technology. Uh, don't think about, you know, it's just enterprise uh, level and then they start thinking e-kiosk and I, I will kind of slap my forehead whenever they tell me they want to build a kiosk, right? Uh, so I think um, how we think about our solutions will also make a difference. I love the phone banking example. No kidding, today I had to log in through my laptop into my bank account. I haven't done that in probably two years time. It's all on my phone. So if we think about these consumer grade experiences that we all operate with, every generation within the workforce and almost all outside of work today, we're operating with technology in a way that we couldn't have even dreamt about 10 years ago. The fact that we can walk around with a watch on our wrist that's as powerful as a computer was 15, 20 years ago, it's mind blowing to me. I think it's really where technology can provide not only enablement, but, but also where tech can provide a lot of transparency to people. Transparency in the way that they go about their lives and the way that they go about their day jobs. Okay, so Wendy, I have a challenge for you. We're going to imagine this kind of futuristic, dystopian, parallel universe where we look at technology as a magnifying glass for behavior, good and bad. So if we look at that from an HR tech perspective, it can provide real insight into big societal issues like pay disparity, diversity and inclusion, but it can also look at work-life balance. 
do you see this as a futuristic dystopian you know, universe, or, or is that really where HR practitioners today are trying to drive their organizations? To a dystopian, so I need to clarify, uh, what you describe is uh, technology driving transparency in a way that it exposes others, right? Exposes practices. So personally, I think you can use technology to do good or technology to destroy. And you, it really depends on the intention behind it. I believe that if the intention is to drive a positive change, exposing but not um, accusing can actually drive positive change. So people are unafraid of being exposed. They are, they are more afraid at being called out as the bad guy when being exposed. That's my point of view. Okay, so, so therefore, I think that uh, technology being... Um, and I think it's, it's going to happen anyway. So it's not something that you can prevent. And the more you try to prevent, the more it will, uh, it, it will backstab. And, uh, but at the same time, it's it, it better, better to spend the energy not preventing it, but kind of preparing for it, right? In terms of how you respond when that day comes. And that day will come. Uh, and in SEMCOP, it's not a place that we would avoid because our employees are already very vocal and they are not kind uh, in their remarks. They are, it's unfiltered you know, in terms of uh, their feedback to the organisation. Uh, and as such, I think they are already uh, surfacing a lot of issues. So I, I don't know whether that's the answer to your question, but uh, I feel that when that transparency comes, uh, it's how we, we use that information and better be the first to kind of open that channel up. Uh, for the purpose that we intend for it to happen. So if we want to drive, for example, uh, in SEMCOP, I'm actually, you know, we, we really want to drive some flexibility at work. Uh, if you can imagine from an industry perspective, uh, the female workforce, uh, it's already let alone. I mean, there's really a very small number, uh, but the needs uh, of the people and male or female, uh, in terms of uh, flexibility in plants that kind of already operate in uh, very, you know, scheduled manner and not so easy and not so flexible because they are not technically, you know, knowledge-based workers that work off a laptop. Uh, not so easy for flexibility to take place. This kind of, you know, information and kind of using data to, to give some pressure actually works for us personally. I think that's absolutely right. Whether we call it dystopian universe or the reality that, that it's how we operate today. Technology, again, it provides that transparency both for the good behavior and the opportunities, and it provides transparency and insights into the things that we need to change and improve. I think that's also something that HR practitioners and business leaders really need to be prepared for. They've got to be prepared to, to understand what the impact of the technology is in the organization, but they also need to be a lot more comfortable with the data in the organization and how to interpret it. HR leaders, and you know, I, I consider myself guilty as well, we're, we're so often trained to, to deal with the, the technical tracks of HR, the things like employee relations and total rewards, but we're not always really trained to think about the data and what that data means or what we're trying to do with the business as HR practitioners, or more importantly, what the data tells us about how the business is performing. That's a challenge for a lot of HR leaders today. I'd be curious to know what your thoughts on this are. Uh, in terms of data, uh, I will say that uh, 
I think we need to go back to first principles uh, as HR and we need to be uh, it almost kind of brings you back to your moral grounds in the first place if you did not operate from the right core then you would have things to hide because you would have done some things which were probably uh, not something you will shout about and if exposed probably something you will have to explain and have larger consequences which till today probably didn't affect you because chances of them being exposed was actually very very low but I believe that I think Sam Cobb's experiencing that too uh, because, and it's just the external requirements on corporate governance uh, the transparency that's come already in different forms requires one to be um, the disclosures that are more formal in nature but then at the same time if you didn't disclose it the the informal channels would disclose it for you uh, as well I think all that is already happening so I guess the warning or so is that whatever you do or whatever you design uh, you need to be very clear why you're doing what you do and that you can explain it when you're asked and I think they need to go back to that that ground because they are accountable for it when that day comes and that's I would say you could say it's dangerous but I think if you start off from that angle you you I think come up with solutions that are more thought through they may not be the right solutions but you had a reason at that time and so if you made a mistake you know why you made that mistake because certain assumptions were wrong or that uh, your worldview at that time perhaps was not as accurate as you wanted to be but there is a reason and it's authentic you know at that point in time uh, I think that could be the way to kind of uh, navigate you know this this world right now that's really great advice the idea of going back to, to the first principles of HR and the first principles of leadership and then checking in with your own moral compass it's incredibly important I love that Okay, one last question. We live in this super fast-paced, quickly evolving times. About two years ago, Google announced to an Australian Senate inquiry that by the year 2030, nearly $1.2 trillion of economic gain would come from automation. Some people view that statement as roles being made redundant. But at the same time, if you look at countries like Korea, there's a 52-hour work week that's just been legislated with the potential for organizations to actually incur jail terms if they don't abide by it. So on the one end of the spectrum, we have major tech giants coming out and saying that the change in roles or the elimination of roles will boost economic gain. But then we have other countries that are really trying to drive a much heavier work-life balance. That's a huge amount for any HR leader to grapple with. What advice would you give to them? Uh, I, I can't say I'm in a position to give advice, uh, but I think I will kind of repeat what I said. I think you're right, it's all coming uh, at the same time. They actually come for different reasons. Uh, you know, each of these events have uh, come out, uh, maybe have different triggers, etc. But they all impact the workforce. Uh, I would say, I, I think as HR people, we need to uh, follow the same heartbeat of the business. So at the end of the day, it's the business must thrive for the people to have jobs. Uh, and the change of the business is very real. Even if we automate, it, it incurs cost and we don't have the right people to run those automations. So that's, that's very real for HR even today. Then you have the workforce uh, that are being managed and, and how they are being managed by their leaders and their needs. You also have to be an employee advocate and you have to see the needs of the employees. Uh, I think the solutions that we come up with has to marry both as much as we can. And, and that's why I say you go back to first principles because you have to go there because there are going to be trade-offs whatever solution you provide. 
Uh, and even if you need time, that time will require you to trade off something. Uh, so I think going back to first principles and, and then coming up with solutions and the solutions that we come up with, we need to constantly challenge ourselves because even as HR practitioners, uh, you know, even if you mention the years that I've been in there, I think we're in danger of just relying simply because we think we know best, we're experienced, so therefore we know. Uh, and whatever systems we are used to were built based on certain assumptions. Uh, and those assumptions need to be checked uh, as well, whether they still apply today. And, and certain philosophy and thinking of that time, uh, that you know, methods and uh, programs, theories were built. Uh, I think it's to push HR to, to rethink some of the solutions or at least challenge to make sure that they are still relevant today uh, when we are thinking about how we deal uh, with our solutions that balances both the employer's needs as well as the employee's needs. Wendy, that's really powerful. And I will absolutely challenge you when you say that maybe you're not equipped to give advice. I would say you've just shared incredible advice. Here's what I've just heard from you. The advice is check in with your first principles. Don't lose those. Remember that employees are at the heart of an organization. And then balance the needs of the employee and the employer. And it's to really lead with courage through change and to grow through that change. Your story and the story of change and transformation that you're leading at SEMCORP is truly inspirational. I really want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been really educational for me and, and genuinely a true pleasure. No, well, thank you for your time. And thanks for playing that back to me as well. Now it's very clear in my head. <laughs> and you know what? It turns out that you are absolutely qualified to give really great advice. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Awesome.